0: Hi everyone, I'm Fatima Keshavars and this is Radio Rumi broadcasting from my house in Silver Spring, Maryland on a beautiful September morning. This is not a studio, I'm not going to do any editing. And I'm not reading from a written script. So, this is going to be far from perfect, but it is spontaneous. It comes from the heart, and I hope it reaches your hearts. Why am I doing this? Well, first of all, I am a teacher of things poetic and things mystical at the University of Maryland in College Park. And I've seen how these concepts bring significant change to the lives of my students, how they encourage them to connect with themselves, to look inside, look within, and look for a core which is in them, which is holy, which is beautiful, which is humane, which is everything that our present day world seems to be denying. And connecting with that core is so important because there are all these distractions around us, all these worries, all these concerns, which are all very legitimate. We have to attend to them because we have to build ourselves alive. But we also need to stay connected with ourselves and look within and see who we are. Rumi once said, Hin zebegu ta'ke jahan Speak a new language, so the world will be a new world. That is because he believed the way we speak says something about who we are, the way we imagine ourselves in the world, and therefore, it gives us the power to change that world. I know, it feels a little bit unrealistic, with all the technology out there, with all these other important rational scientific factors well we do not need to ignore any of them in fact we value and honor them but what we also say and think is that they should not overshadow our humanity we should see ourselves for who we are and look at the powers that we have to change this world so Today, I'm going to focus mostly on a ghazal, which is one of Rumi's night visions. But first things first, while I don't want these programs to be academic, these are not classroom material, but I'm hoping that some things will come out of it which are helping us all to understand the terminology, the concepts involved. In appreciating Rumi's poetry and also the writings of so many other mystics who wrote similar poetry or prose. What is a ghazal? A ghazal is a form of Persian poetry which is usually made up of five or six to ten or twelve lines. And it doesn't tell you a particular story in the sense that it does not begin at the beginning or end at the end of a story. In that sense, it's so much, not really like a clip from a movie, but rather like a photo exhibit where you have these moments, these powerful moments and images that you can, in your own mind, connect with each other. I remember that as a child, when I grew up in the city of Shiraz in southwest Iran, when these poems were recited out loud, which were very often, I began to connect them as I grew up. Sometimes I would memorize them even without planning to memorize them. They were just so beautiful and, and musical and talked about things that made sense, at least partially, that I maintained them in my head. And as I grew up, as I did my studies, as I lived my life in many different parts of the world, I started connecting all of those little dots together. I'm sure there are many other dots to connect, but I'm gonna share with you the ones that I have connected. So Rumi's ghazals could therefore have many beautiful striking images that as you read through one, you can connect with each other and even with pieces of other poems that you have read before. And what do I mean when I say mystical? In our terminology, mystical is associated with mysterious, otherworldly, maybe even illogical. Well, that these are not the connotations that I have in mind. When I'm talking about mystical, I refer to writings, thoughts, or creations that are related to our inner feelings and believe that we can connect with these inner feelings. We can even connect with God, according to these mystics, and particularly the, the type that I am more educated about because i grew up in a culture that knew them and then i studied them are the sufis or the mystics within the muslim community they believed that you do not need a priest an imam a, a um leader of any kind you can connect with god now of course you could have specialists and and scholars in all of these areas and learn from them, discuss things with them. But as far as your own human core of holiness was concerned, you have it, and you don't have to do anything about it. You have to discover it in a way, or rather even recover it, because it could get so covered up with concerns, with fears, with guilt, with all kinds of other distractions that the life these days, offers all of us. And poetry. Again, many poets have said this very beautifully. Poetry has enabled them to see the world fresh every instant. I'm sure you have experienced this, that sometimes you know a beautiful line of poem which you learned years ago, and you remember it. And when you remember it, there is something new in it. Because you are now older, you're more experienced, you go back to it, and you are able to get out of it something that you were not able to do 10 years ago. That's the kind of poetry that I have in mind. And that is what Rumi wants his readers to do. Indeed, he finishes many, many ghazals by saying, I am done. I wrote this poem. It's finished. It's your turn now pick it up, and make it your own, and write the rest of it. In other words, there is a poetry on the page, a poetry in your memory, and a poetry beyond the page, which is your responsibility to write. Now, if I were to say something or some things very general about Rumi's poetry, I would pick three important characteristics. Hope, Happiness and play. Uh, believe me I'm not making this up to make it interesting. His whole life, his whole life he worked to keep hope alive. In fact, he once wrote "Omid Imanist Agar He wrote Hope is the beginning of the road to safety. Even if you cannot step on that road, at least stay at this road. Stay close to this road. And his reason for it is very simple. If you do not have hope, you do not do anything. You just believe that there is no point in doing anything. You lose your energy. You give up. Whereas when you have hope, you move. To move forward, and perhaps he even did his whirling for this reason, because he wanted he said once that the whole universe is animated with love, the stars whirl, our earth turns, so why should I not turn and happiness, happiness too again, there's a beautiful story. I just cannot resist telling you this story. Well, he lived in the city of Konya and in in central Turkey today. They called it actually at the time. So there were these beautiful gardens outside the city and he would be sitting with his friends and followers and disciples and students and sometimes just ordinary people who came by. And they had their legs in the water, they were sitting on the side of a stream, streams ran through the garden, and they were talking, and at some point Rumi said to one of the people there, he said, why is so-and-so not talking today? And that person said, oh, he's sad. And Rumi said, why? He said, that thief was hanged on my threshold a long time ago. Now, remember, this is medieval times. This is the 13th century. They used to hang thieves, and they used to hang them on the threshold of the kings outside the palace so that people could actually see what the outcome of stealing was, but that they could also see who had the power to administer justice, the king. So, if he ever wanted to be a king which he never, ever actually tried to live in a you know, glorious fashion or luxurious way of life, if he ever wanted to be a king, was a king on whose threshold sadness was executed. And when you think about it, that's a very beautiful metaphor because sadness steals. It steals your energy, steals your hope it makes you, again, passive. And he didn't want the world around him to be passive. He wanted them to be whirling, moving, coming, and going. And again, another time, he said, we are not less than the earth. When you plow the earth, it comes alive. It gives life to trees and plants that bear fruit. So come and go. Like the earth, you need to be plowed. You need to be moved. Okay, and the last concept that I mentioned was play. Yes. You know, it's sad that all of these concepts, hope, happiness, and play, in some ways are taken from us in our way of life today. We're supposed to be much more serious and goal-oriented and totally focused on achieving something and gaining something. And in the process, the sense of hope, the sense of happiness, and the sense of play disappears. Now, for Rumi, play was very serious. We are, or you may say for him, we were children, all of us. And we were playing in this world of Imagination and nature, but also war and cruelty and everything that was going on. And we needed to learn the rules of the game and to play and to go towards our mother, which was that, again, truth or godliness or whatever else is your word for it. In fact, Sufis sometimes called that entity, the friend, Deuced, which is a very um, interesting metaphor. Deuced is somebody you trust. You can get, you can be intimate with. You can hear even harsh reality expressed by a friend. Indeed, you expect them to be frank when you ask them something. So a lot of goodness comes with having wonderful friends. And in the terminology that Rumi and many other mystics used, to refer to God or to that force of goodness, that holiness present around us. Okay, so with all of that in mind, I am now going to take us to what I promised at the beginning of this, which is a particular ghazal focused on a night vision. Rumi had many night visions which he he put into poetry. Were they dreams? Were they um, things imagined? Were they totally made up, kind of uh, make-believe? We don't really know, and in a way, It does not matter, because as far as he was concerned, make-believe was a very important part of life. You played this game. You learned how to play this game, so that you could appreciate your life as a game that would get you close to that inner core of yourself. He starts telling us about this night vision by addressing us as... Oh, lovers. And that's very interesting. That's another characteristic of Rumi writing. You know, he doesn't say, very often, he doesn't say, Oh, people, Oh, folks, Oh, whoever. But, Oh, lovers. Because that's a potential we have. And he wants to keep reminding of us of that. Ayaw sharon, ayaw shaghan. Hengaw maku, just as jahan. That gusha jowna mirasat. This is about the caravan leaving. Tonight, he's talking to us and he's saying, Oh, lovers, we are simple nomads. Heavenly drums say it's time to leave. You can interpret that as our lives coming to an end at some point. Or you can... interpret it as we are all on a journey, and it's time to continue on that journey. Oh, lovers, we are simple nomads. Heavenly drums say it's time to leave. Every moment souls plunge into the space beyond. Bells ring, and the caravans depart. Do not sleep. The do not sleep is actually very, very interesting because a minute ago or a second ago, we heard every moment souls plunge into the space beyond. So if that was going to be death or the end of our existence, so it would in fact be a sleep, so there would be no point in saying do not sleep. With that signal, he's telling us that this plunging into the other world is again an exploration of your inner world. In All right, I'm not going to read a lot of Persian because I anticipate many of you haven't had a chance to learn the language. And maybe after this, you would be interested, but at this point you don't. But I still want you to hear the music of it from time to time and see how the motion of leaving is reflected in this poetry. And then he tells us about the night around him. Look at the candles suspended in the air and the marvelous blue curtains that drape the sky. Look at the wonderful beings Emerging from the unseen, spreading heavenly words that wipe away the silent dark. It's an interesting and in some ways unusual and strange scene. Candles are suspended in the air. There is this blue curtains draping the sky and these wonderful beings that are emerging around him. Where is he going? What is he getting at? This moving earth has become a cradle. It's putting you to sleep. Wake. Wake, your light-footed life is dancing away. So we need to Wake up we need to do something. What is it that he wants us to do? A a A Look, look for the one you love. Oh my heart. So this is after waking up. Wake your light-footed life is dancing away. Wake, look for the one you love. Oh, my heart, you're my night watch. You cannot remain asleep. Now, I think this connection is really interesting. When we think about night watches today, it's all about protecting us from danger. Security, who's going to attack us next? Fear, fear of what divides us, building walls, race, Gender, you know, and there is a lot of fear out there. But his night watch is to keep you awake so you look for the one you love. Because he sees that ultimate security, that ultimate wholeness, that ability to confront all of the fear, all of the terror, all of the mistrust by connecting with others true love which is completely the opposite of building those walls and he gives a very festive and beautiful atmosphere to bring us to life remember i talked about poetry having that ability to enliven our imagination to make us imagine the world differently so here he's doing it aso jamon mashalle harsoi bango Zawiya, johana, the street buzz with singing. Look, the whole neighborhood is out. Torches and candles are in everyone's hands. What a carnivalesque scene. People are out. They're singing. They have candles. They have torches. And what is going on? And what is going so, yeah, Jehovah, Jehovah, the pregnant world is in labor. The everlasting will be born tonight. There is a whole lot here to unpack. First of all, the world is pregnant. Things are not just one-dimensional and meaningless and materialistic. They have an inner core. And they can give Birth to the everlasting that's another thing. the everlasting, the one you can call God, the truth again, the friend doost that comes to be born in this world in a way isn't it such an such a Christian idea? It's very interesting because he he does he does love the idea of Mary giving birth to Jesus. But even then, he says, each of us is a Mary and we each have a Jesus in us and we should give birth to that Jesus. That's in another piece of writing which I will talk about, I'm sure, sometime very soon. But here, coming back to this poem, the pregnant world is in labor and the everlasting will be born tonight. In other words, if you can Open your night to these candles of the stars. Allow yourself to be the expansive being who you are. You are like the world, pregnant with the everlasting, and you can give birth to it. And then, of course, he knows that we are all going to doubt that. We are going to say, well, what are you talking about? How can we give birth? ever the everlasting isn't that everlasting doesn't that belong to some other kind of a otherworldly world we simple physical beings no not for him for Rumi we are all one being it's all one continuum of experience we are not exalted in the soul and base in the body so Listen to this, he explains it now. To gel body, del inchenin, Were you not a piece of clay and turned into a tender heart? Now, if you believe in any of the Abrahamic religions, we were all a piece of clay and got breath of his soul in us. But even if you don't, we were these small, helpless beings that grew to be tender and loving and sentient and wise. He says, isn't that a miracle? Are you doubting that we could continue to grow and, and, and give birth to the everlasting? So let me read it you again. Were you not a piece of clay and turned into a tender heart? Were you not ignorant and turned loving, sentient, and wise? Trust me, the one who took you through that journey will take you by the hand into the neighborhood beyond. Anzu. Anzu is the neighborhood beyond. Well, you might say, where is this neighborhood beyond? That is one thing he's not going to define for you. He's going to let us each build our neighborhood beyond. Not just to discover it, discover parts of it, but also build it. It cannot happen unless we show the agency of wanting to build it. And all of this night vision, all of his dance and play and candles and neighborhood being out, is in order to get you to work, to be ready to explore that neighborhood beyond, to move forward instead of being down and low and sad and not have the energy to do it. Now, of course, he did not little people who were sad. He was sad at times himself. You know, it was a tough time where he lived. The Mongols were in, in the in, in the Central Anatolia War happened. There was a lot of poverty, and, you know, he talks about all of that. It's not that he does not appreciate our sadness, but he wants to get us beyond that. And believe me, he can. And see how he ends that poem. that Kafnadorum Sangman Bokas Jangman Bokas Nagiram Tangman Zira Hosham I am not bitter I am not bitter Though there is someone in me who feeds my discontent but I will not throw stones at my enemy I will not throw stones at my enemy I will not fight a rose garden can only delight the one who passes by. And don't forget that every time he says, I am a rose garden, I can only delight people. I do not have a fight with anybody. He means you are also a rose garden. You also don't have to throw stones at others and a fight with others. But you can be as happy and as delightful as a rose garden talk to you soon Goodbye.